Second lesson comes from Genesis 45, 1 through 15. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, and your children, and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have, I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, we read about how Joseph ends up in a pit and is sold to merchants who are headed to Egypt. And I was a little bit harsh, a little hard on Joseph to make the point that this is not a story about a perfect kid who is martyred for his piety, who in the end gets his sweet revenge on his brothers. It's a story about a 17-year-old kid who despite the dark places that he experiences, is always pursued by God, the hound of heaven, whose will is worked out in Joseph and through Joseph. This week, we get the punchline of the story. What is the moral of the story? What is it fundamentally about? I wonder, if you have kids and you tell your kids the story of Joseph, what's, like the, what's the point of this Fable. How would you summarize it? Maybe take a moment. Think about, okay, what's, what's the point of this story existing in Genesis? What's like the, what's the gist? We jumped a bunch of chapters. I want to I walk through sort of the story and then share what I believe is the point of it. So, so last week we read about Joseph and he's, he's thrown into the pit. 
He ends up being sold, sent off to Egypt. He ends up in Potiphar's house, who is sort of a regional king over an area. Joseph does really well in Potiphar's house, starts moving up the ranks of servants. Everyone's taking notice of him. Potiphar's wife is taking notice of him. It's really all about him. And, um, and, and, and so she tries to sleep with Joseph. Joseph um, spurns her advances and she lies about him and he ends up in prison. Potiphar's upset. He can't even trust Joseph, his closest servant. And so Joseph ends up in a prison somewhere, we don't know where, somewhere close enough to, 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 to the capital of Egypt that in the prison are a baker and a sommelier. And the baker and sommelier get to know Joseph. The, the, the people, the prisoners start to like Joseph. The, the baker and the sommelier have dreams that they're talking about. And Joseph remembers his father Jacob telling him about a dream one time, about a staircase that went up to heaven. And, 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 and Jacob told him the interpretation of that dream. And so I thought, you know, hey, tell me your dreams. I'll, I'll, see, if, I'll see if I get anything. So these, the baker and the sommelier tell him dreams that they have. They're very similar dreams to one, one to another. And Joseph does have a sense about what they mean, a conviction about what's going to happen. He wasn't sure if, 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 if God would give him anything, but God seems to let him in on the secret of what these dreams mean. And so he tells the baker, bad news, buddy. You're going to die. And he tells the sommelier, good news, buddy. You're going to be back in Pharaoh's court. And when you're back in Pharaoh's court, just remember me. Just remember me. And it happens just as Joseph said. The baker is killed, is executed. And the sommelier ends up back in Pharaoh's court. Pharaoh one night has a dream himself. This is years later probably. Pharaoh has a dream himself. And so he calls all of the wise men, the wizards of the land, the sorcerers to come and tell him what this dream means and they make up stuff, but none of it rings with truth. None of it seems to be spot on. None of it makes sense of other parts of his dream that he's not telling them about in order to see if they really know what's going on or if they're just making stuff up. And they're all just making stuff up. And the sommelier who's serving him as nightcap apparently remembers, hey, there was a guy who interpreted my dream once in prison. Let's call him up. And Pharaoh says, let's call him up. Let's, why not? Let's try it. So Joseph comes up and Pharaoh says, hey, buddy, tell me what I dreamed. And Joseph says, hey, I don't know if I can do this again. I got lucky. God helped me once. I don't know if, he'll, if, I don't know if God will give me the wisdom to interpret your dream this time. But he says, let me, let, me, let me see. And so Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream and it rings with truth. And Pharaoh is convinced that Joseph has the right interpretation of the dream. And Joseph's convinced that he has the right interpretation of the dream. And it's, it, it's a prediction that there's going to be seven years of blessing and fruitfulness. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh says, I believe this guy. He calls his economic advisors around. He says, this is going to happen. How do we prepare for it? And everyone's like, why would we? What, you're, 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 you're putting the the fiscal responsibility of our nation into the hands of this prisoner who just interpreted your dream. And, and so he turns to Joseph. He says, Joseph, what should we do? And Joseph, again, maybe this is even more from the Lord, comes up with an economic plan to prepare for seven years of famine. He says, we need to save this amount of grain. And then when people come to us, we need to set up a system wherein they can exchange livestock and goods from their nations for our food. And we need to set up a system, a uh, 
uh, an equation to figure out how much land they have to give us for so much grain. He figures out this great economic system that not only will save the nations, but will also make Egypt very rich. And so Pharaoh is all about this guy. And he says, this guy's second in command. Forget all y'all. This guy is the, is the prince of Egypt. And so Disney ripped off the name. Um, so Joseph becomes the second most powerful person in the most powerful nation in the world. And when the famine finally hits, it's the only nation in the world that has any grain, has any wheat, and everyone is at their whim. And what does Pharaoh say about, and Pharaoh says, if you want food, go to Joseph. And so Joseph literally holds the lives of everyone in his hands. The famine spreads north to where Joseph's family is. You have to wonder if Joseph is aware of this or if he's curious about how his family is doing. It seems like he hasn't thought about them in years. But then these 10 brothers show up and, and, and our passage today gives us this really sort of emotional scene where he's weeping on their necks, but that's not how it starts. He sees his 10 brothers show up and he's in his Egyptian garb and they don't recognize him and so he stre- treats them like strangers and speaks harshly to them. They bow down at his feet because they know this is the man that holds our lives in his hand and they bow and they're begging for anything. And he says, you all are spies, aren't you? You're spies coming to steal our food. And so he puts them in jail for three days and they say, no, 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 no. They, they, they give him the whole story. We have this brother. He died. We have this other brother, Benjamin. He's at home. Our, our father and everyone's back home. And it's us 10 who have come to get food for, for all the people in our household. They gives them this whole story. And, and Joseph says, no, 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 you're spies. Puts them in jail for three days. And then he lets them go. And he says, hey, come back with that other brother to prove that you're not spies, that you're telling the truth. And until you come back, I'm holding Simeon in jail until you come back. So he puts Simeon in jail, sends their brothers back, and he puts their money that they've come to pay with back into their bags, not as a kindness, not, not, not as a generosity, as in keep the money, but, but, but in order to uh, terrify them that they will be accused of stealing this food, of actually being spies. And so on the way home, they realize their money's still there, and they're like, oh, shoot. Do we go back, give them the money? No, if we go back, he's going to kill us. We got to keep going. We just can't ever go back. So they go back home with their food. They think Simeon's long gone. And um, the famine continues. It doesn't get any better. It gets worse. So they say, Jacob, pops, listen, if we go back, we got to bring Benjamin or he's going to kill us. He's probably already killed Simeon. And Jacob says, no, 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 no. That's not happening. So they wait a little bit longer, but soon it's life and death. It's either you go with Benjamin or Benjamin dies here. And so they bring Benjamin, who is, of course, Joseph's uh, youngest brother, the, the, the son of, of Rachel and Jacob, his only actual full, um, full blood brother. And so they all head back and Joseph sees that they've returned with Benjamin. And then, and then there's this really weird scene where, um, where Joseph, Joseph seems to be having all sorts of anxiety and, and conflict about what's happening, where these worlds are colliding. So, so, so the brothers come back and he decides to, to bring them into his house and he sets up a table for them. And they're terrified of him still, right? They're still scared out of their minds. And he sets them up around the table in age order somehow. And they're like, how does this guy know how to put us exactly in order of our age? Sets them up 
in order of age. And then when the food is brought out, and it's, it's a feast. It's a feast that they haven't seen for decades. And they're scared, but he gives Benjamin a 5X portion of the meal. Benjamin's sitting with just like bottles of wine in front of him. He's like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And, um, and it's, it's just this really bizarre scene where, where, where Joseph seems to be toying with them. Um, <laughs> this is, you know, some, some people think like, oh, Joseph's the, the paradigm for how we ought to treat people who have harmed us. No, he's not. Don't, don't be like Joseph. Um, He's, 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 he's playing with them. He's toying with them. They're confused and they're scared, but they're also starving. And this is the best meal they've ever seen. And so they, they eat a ton of food and it sounds like they get drunk. It doesn't say that, but I, I don't, it says they get really merry. Um, uh, and then Joseph, and, and you think maybe around this table, there'll be this great moment of, of reconciliation and there's this feasting, and, um, but there's not. Joseph fills up their sacks with grain and sends them on their way again, but he puts silver in Benjamin's bag. And so he sends the soldiers after him and they catch up with Benjamin. And Benjamin's, you know, he's at a loss for words. There's this, there's this silver in Benjamin's bag. They're all accused of stealing and being spies again. They're terrified. They're brought back. The brothers are afraid Benjamin's going to get executed. And, um, And, I, and who's, who knows why Joseph does this exactly? Perhaps to see if they still feel towards favorites as they used to. Perhaps to test if, there's, um, if the brothers have, I don't know, learned their place in the family, that they're less. I, it's confusing. I, I, I don't totally get it. Um, but the brothers refuse to leave Benjamin behind and go back home. And Judah steps up and says, listen, you got to take me in his place. You've got to take me in his place. Because if, if we return without Benjamin, our father will die. And then we get to this, this text that we have here. And he says, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And they are dismayed, terrified at the sight of Joseph. It's bad enough if this is just some Egyptian guy that hates us. But if this happens to be the brother that we tried to kill, oh boy, they're terrified. And their relationship picks up right where it left off. Joseph in power, wondering what daddy's up to. And they can't answer him. And he says, come closer to me. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And he goes on to say, go get, go get my father. He falls on Benjamin's neck. And then he ends up falling on each of his brothers, weeping with them. There seems to be this moment of peace. Joseph, I imagine, puts the pieces of his life together as his worlds collide. The past he has tried to forget about stands in front of him and at first it's too much to bear and anger and vengeance boil up in him instead of compassion and forgiveness and he sends them away but something happens in the time between their visits. Memories he has suppressed come flooding back and faced with his past, he begins to understand the course of his life. He can see that while his brothers intended harm, God had used it for good and finding some peace in God's will Joseph is able to finally face the brothers that had harmed him and offer them forgiveness. But his brothers take some convincing. A few chapters later, in Genesis 50, Jacob dies. 
He's he's brought to Egypt. Everything's honky-dory. But then Jacob dies, and the brothers, there's this little scene where the brothers realize their fathers died, and they sort of huddle up uh, on the side of Joseph and say, "Uh, oh, shoot, (laughs) what if Joseph's been waiting for Jacob to die before he takes it out on us? Yeah, 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 let's go talk to him. So, I don't know if he ever told you this, Joseph, but, um, but dad was saying that um, he wanted to make sure that you forgave us. Uh, what's the, your father gave us instructions before he died. This is uh, Genesis 50. Say to Joseph, tell him, I beg you, forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept and the brothers wept and they fell down before him like in the dream. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. God had it in the bag all along, brothers. God was at work the entire time and it wasn't even all about me. The point of this story, the lens is zoomed in so far on Joseph's life in this story that we forget what Joseph finally realizes, which is that this is a story about how God prevented hunger from killing Egyptians. This is a story about the Jewish God, Yahweh, intervening so to preserve many lives. That's God's agenda. That's God's will. Joseph and his brothers are the details of how God accomplishes that. But that's the plot. There's going to be a famine and people are going to die and God is in the business of preserving life. And so God works through Joseph to preserve life. The camera is so close on Joseph and the authors, they, the, the authors want us to, to love Joseph in the end. He's a father of the faith. They want us to feel a He's our kindred. They want us to remember the names of the tribes and admire Judah for taking Benjamin's place and identify with the characters and understand how Israel's people ended up in Egypt. All of the details matter. They matter. But let's not bury the lead. This is a story about the God of the Israelites working out a way to thwart famine from killing people. Joseph realizes that his life is but a small piece in God's work to preserve life and to work out good for all people. Joseph realizes that even when the chips are down, when he is in a pit or in prison or working as a slave, none of these circumstances change the fact that God intends good in Joseph and through Joseph on the behalf of a great many people. God is going to preserve life and save the nations and Joseph gets to play a part in that. And this is the story of all of the patriarchs. God's salvation being worked out through God's people on the behalf of the entire cosmos. Abraham, blessed to be a blessing. Isaac, saved so that God could save the nations through him. Jacob, forgiven in order to forgive all. Joseph, rescued from the pit, brought to Egypt in order to preserve life. That's the agenda at work in Joseph's life. And this is the story that continues throughout Israel's history. When Israel forgets that it is blessed and chosen in order to bless and choose, the prophets come in and remind them. That's what's going on in Isaiah, this passage that we we opened with, where the Lord is saying, maintain justice and do what is right for my 
Soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. What's happening in God's people during the time of Isaiah is that God's plan of salvation is being worked out in a new way. And it says that not only is this, not only is my salvation for people who fall in the bloodline of, of Abraham, no, but foreigners who join themselves to the Lord and keep the Sabbath, these I will bring to my holy mountain. I will gather the outcasts of Israel. The, the, this section skips verses two through five. Where, where it says the eunuchs, even the eunuchs who are, who are not only foreigners, but are, are foreigners who are made eunuchs so that they can serve, um, serve kings and rulers, right? These are the outcasts of the outcasts. They're outcasts for 20 different reasons. But Isaiah says, listen, the salvation of the Lord is taking place. It's a train that can't be stopped. And even the eunuchs are going to draw close to the, to the holy mountain, all those who keep the Sabbath. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and he continues the story of God's salvation. The word becomes flesh in Christ and he is the culmination of God's salvation history. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation who from the beginning has been telling the story of lives being preserved. And Jesus extends God's life-preserving grace to those who are cast out by race and gender and age, those made unclean, by sickness, those condemned by the sins of their parents. Sons of Abraham, I can turn these stones into sons of Abraham. All the weary and all the heavy laden are who I extend life to. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon the church and God's will to preserve life. This story that starts in the beginning is carried out through the church, through a new people. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, the story of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. The same will of God to preserve life that caused Joseph to understand dreams and that gave him the wisdom to plan for seven years of famine is being worked out through the people of God today. The story of God's will to preserve life continues through the church. We are the bearers of God's kingdom. Bearers, not exclusive beneficiaries writes Leslie Newbegin, bearers of God's kingdom, God's story of salvation. And this is what Joseph learns, that God is out to preserve life and that he has chosen, not for his own benefit, not to be the center of the story, but for the good of all. Christ calls the weary and heavy laden to bring in the weary and the heavy laden. At this table, Christ meets our hunger and quenches our thirst he saves us from the pit, but here also, he gives us a hunger and a thirst for a world where love and faithfulness meet together, where righteousness and peace kiss. May we be fed by Christ at this table and go out into the world with a hunger to preserve life, to carry on that great tradition, to continue telling the story of God's salvation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.